Hallelujah. All right, well, Father, we just thank you for the good word. God, we thank you that Christ has risen, and as a result, we have risen too. God, we pray that you would just speak to all of our hearts today. God, that we wouldn't leave with just like, eh, but God, we would know that you were in our midst and you were speaking to us. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I've said it each week. I'll just keep saying it. The gospel, if you don't know, it means good news. Good news. So here we go again. If you're not hearing the gospel, you're not hearing. You may be hearing other news and things about Christianity and things about growing in Christ. But if you're not hearing the gospel, you're not hearing good news. And it's not the new new. It's the old new that is still new, right? It's the news that's been going for 2,000 years. Sometimes we want a new word. We want a new revelation. We want a new insight. We want a third heaven encounter. Amen. Why not? But the reality is this, guys. We have the best news already. And it happened 2,000 years ago, and it's still transforming and changing lives today. And here's the great part about it. It's just news about Jesus. It's news about what he's done. It has nothing to do about what you've done. And when that lays hold of us, guys, that puts fire in our bellies. That puts hunger in us. That puts passion in us. That's the thing that we're all going to be challenged in this life. What are we going to feed on? What are we going to just digest and meditate on? And I'm just going to tell you right now from the beginning, it doesn't get better than the gospel. It just doesn't. You can't get a better revelation than Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins and him raised brand new and you raise with him into the newness of life. That will forever preach. Somebody. Cool. Woo. One temptation, and there's going to be many going through this life, and some of you are farther along than others, but we will be tempted to drift from Jesus. We'll be tempted to drift from the message of Christ. But one temptation that I think is very subtle in the church, but we all face it, is because of, mostly I think because of our culture and how we're being raised and discipled, is this, is the temptation to improve ourselves spiritually apart from God. You will be tempted in this life to try to improve yourself, to be a better human, whatever that means, apart from Jesus and in your own strength, your methods, and your good ideas. And I think a lot of us, if you walk long enough with Jesus, we will nod to salvation. Yes, Christ alone saves us single-handedly. It's him who does it. But then we will feel at times that it's on us to grow in Christ. Anybody? A few heads. Thank you. Do you know what's so refreshing about children? I'm talking about the littles, like five and under. They just live. They just live. They're not really concerned with much. They're just like, I'm alive. I'm in the earth. I don't care. The Imans have a few littles. You know, if your two-year-old came in, Caleb or three, whatever he is, he would probably just run in thinking he's the center of attention, just run to the front, be excited to come up on the stage with me, maybe want the mic. You know, he wouldn't care. There's a freedom in not being so self-conscious that kids carry, that innocence carries. And my daughter, Zoe, she's in this thing when she puts on a dress, sometimes it just brings the singer out. So she'll just go out to the front porch. No one asks her to go out there and just start singing. 
her own songs. God loves me. He loves you. The world is great. I mean, those things come out of her. I'm always like, that's a good word. You know, people are walking by. She's like, hi. They're like, hey. You know, she just sings through that. She's not concerned. But I just think there's just an innocence of being a kid that you're not so self-aware. Even my son Isaac the other day, I mean, the toilet's right here, the bathtub's here. His four-year-old sister's taking a bath. Where do you think he wants to pee? I'll leave it at that. I mean, I'm like, what are you doing? He's just like, I don't know. There was a lot of water. You know, I'm like, that's true, but there's water there. Guys, we live in a culture that's obsessed with improving ourselves. Ten ways to shrink the belly fat. Five ways to make people like you. 3.5 ways to overcome destructive habits. You know, it's just like all these things to try to improve oneself. And I would say this, guys. I don't think there's a lot of difference in Christian culture. When I listen to most messages on Sunday, and I'm not saying we don't tell people what to do, you know, and don't, but I think a lot of messages are focused on trying to manage people's behavior. Stop this, start this, don't do this, don't do that. And it's focused on the external instead of on Christ and what he's already done and given us in him. And the drift is this, guys. When we drift from the person Jesus and the finished work of the gospel, you only can drift one other place, and that's back onto you. And that's why Paul would say, like, it's bondage and slavery when you drift back to Jesus and back into trying to live by right and wrong living. See, the issue in Paul's day, and it's the same one in our day, do we grow, see miracles, and life's change because we work super hard or because we trusted the power of God. Listen to that, guys. Do we grow? Do lives get changed? Do miracles happen because we work super hard for them? Or is it because we actually trusted in the power of God and what God can do? I want to read you guys this. We already read it once. It's the last thing of the Message Bible here. Does the God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his Holy Spirit, working things in your lives you can never do for yourself, does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving or because you trust him to do them in you? Guys, the gospel is offensive because it's not a message of self-help or self-improvement or even self-focused. It's rather, look what God did in Christ. Look what he did. But Bible says, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. (laughs) God, do you know that the whole world is already forgiven? But people haven't stepped to the table yet. The seat is already available. The love of God is already there. Forgiveness is over there. But they haven't come to the table. Yet everyone has a seat at the table. But not everyone has come to the table. The day I accepted Jesus was on a Friday. Do you think Thursday he loved me less, but on Friday he loved me more? On Thursday, I was forgiven, like, and then on Friday, he was like, you're forgiven in total. It's a finished work. He paid for it in full 2,000 years ago. Mm-mm-mm. See, guys, the Galatians, they started off with a clear view of Jesus and him crucified but they quickly drifted. 
They quickly drifted, trying in their own strength to get life, to get the power, to get the growth, to get the freedom. And it's no different with us, guys. If we're not careful, we'll drift off of who Jesus is and we'll drift back into trying to perfect ourselves. And there's so many invitations in our culture to try to improve oneself. And I'm not saying they're all like, oh, that's the wrong, that's just so wrong. But if you're not careful, again, it's gonna be you doing it, not the power of God through you. And I may last for a season, but it won't last for a lifetime. God changes lives. Grace changes life. Whoo, gotta watch out for that hamster wheel of religion too. We probably won't even go there right now. It's just too much. Church will get you into a hamster wheel. What's being taught sometimes, people get caught up in performance, trying to work their way into heaven. You know, sometimes Christians are like, open up the heavens. Man, the heavens opened up 2,000 years ago. They've been open. God's like, I'm already open. I'm loving you where you're at. You don't need to beg me. You're a son and a daughter. You're not an orphan. He's not trying, you know, for some of you are trying to fill, figure out the will of God for your life. Like, trust him. Don't stress with him. He's not trying to hide the cookies on the top shelf. They're going to figure out the will, Holy Spirit. Don't let them figure out our will. Hide the cookies. He's like... And often it's on a need-to-know basis. Some of you are like, what's the five-year plan? God's like, I'll let you know in five years. But today we got stuff. Guys, at 21, I came to Christ, however you want to word that. Man, that was the best day of my life. I didn't grow up in church. Grew up in a kind of a broken home. Got in partying at 12, other things. But when I found Jesus, man, when I got ambushed by the love of God, I knew I was loved and I knew I was forgiven. And I didn't need people to tell me I should read my Bible pray for people, do any of those things. The grace of God had grabbed my life and I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to go to church. I'm two weeks into this. I'm home alone. I say out loud, I'm getting weird. Like I was tripping out on what was happening. I never wanted to do these things. And now I'm doing the things I didn't like and liking the things I was like, eh, that's the grace of God in one's life. And I began in grace, but I know, as some of you know who've walked with the Lord for a little while, it's easy to slip back into your own works and trying to perfect yourself in this thing and take your eyes off of Jesus. And that's why I say it's always a beautiful thing, and you shouldn't touch it much when a new believer comes to Jesus, and they're a little out there, but they're like, Jesus. You know, they're just like, Jesus. Because they're not looking to the left and the right. They just met a man and they're like, I'm in love. Let them be in love. And it may not look like, you know, oh, you shouldn't use the SH word when you're praying. Who cares? They're in love. God will clean that up later. That's what grace does. The grace of God appeared, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Grace changes lives. It's at work in all of our lives. See, the prophetic is about looking at Mark and being like, dang, this is a good version. But in five years from now, with the grace of God at work, dang, get this man a wife. You know what I mean? It's like, but for real, 
like when the, if you look at one another with the grace of God at work, you're just like, dang, this is going to get real, real. Because see, I, may, I married an amazing woman 20 years ago, but the grace of God has changed her, and she's a remarkable woman today. And I'm like, watch out for Holly in her 70s, dude. She's going to be like, whoo. I'm like, you're making potions for people, and you're doing all sorts of stuff. Anyway, she's not here today. She's in essential oils. I could have got me in trouble. We're going to move on from that. She might listen to the podcast. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Guys, I said this last week, say it again. We like grace in theory. We struggle in practice. We like it in theory. We're just like, yep, it sounds good for my life, for other people's lives. But when the stuff hits the fan, grace in practice for our own life, making room for failures, mistakes, shortcomings, and making room for other people's life, that's a little more. That's a little challenging. And can I just be real, guys? I know you will never convince me that Jesus doesn't love me. I know he loves me. You will never convince me that I don't already sit at the table and I'm already accepted. Bible says, how do you know you're a child of God? The spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. I know I'm a child. But at times, I feel like transformation's on me. You know, be a better husband. You should be a better husband. I'm like, yeah, I should, huh? There's other husbands like this doing that. They talk gentler. They're, you know, be a better dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. I should be a better dad. I need to be a more intentional father. When's the last time I even had a meaningful conversation with that kid? You know, be a better friend. You know, oh, shoot, I should be a better friend, right? I even, oh, my gosh, I haven't called that person in like a year. What kind of friend am I? Be a better, you know, and at the end of the message, it's like, Jason, just be like Jesus, just be Jesus, Jason. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> you know. See, guys, this is why what Paul wrote 2,000 years ago, it actually still preaches very loud today. The Galatians, who were Jews, had become Christians. They trusted in Jesus for salvation. They knew it was grace. But when it came to transformation, they thought this was back on us. This was on us to transform ourselves, to overcome these things, to live by the law, to be right and right, right or not right with God. And Paul says it in the letter. I don't have my Bible open, but he says, you have fallen from grace. You've fallen from grace. And you've fallen from grace when you know the Christian life is very hard and tired and draining and not life-giving. And then he goes on to say, having began by the Spirit, are you now trying to perfect yourself in your own self-effort? So you began by the Spirit. You're just like the Spirit-led life. Yeah. But then you fall in trying to perfect yourself by your own efforts. An unspoken message in Paul's day, and maybe more even in our day, since we're just inundated with self-help, is you're saved by grace, but you're transformed and changed by working on yourself. So it's like grace saves you, but law, that's what's going to transform you. We wouldn't say it like that, but that's how we live it out sometimes. Where we know it's like God single-handedly, he saved me, but man, if I'm going to grow up in Christ, if I'm going to get mature, if I'm going to overcome this and that, well, that's back on me. And that's not the gospel, guys. The gospel is the grace of God changes you, transforms you, does the heavy lifting. Our role, we get to trust in him. We get to believe in him. And that's the crazy thing about grace. 
I've told you, man, God has changed me. When I first, I was that person who cussed in prayer, you know. I remember dropping like a ketchup bottle and be like, you know. I was like, can't believe you dropped that. I'm like, oh my gosh, I cussed. And I just felt like God was like, I don't care. You know, like you're just a young believer. It doesn't matter. I don't know where I'm going with that one, but yeah. You know, in this church, um, we want to create a culture of grace. Your marriage one day, if you're not already married, you want to create a culture of grace. Your parenting, your job, wherever you're at, you want to create a culture where grace reigns. And my wife told me in my first year of marriage, people grow best in the soil of grace, not law. She said that to me. That was a bummer. Still growing. Priscilla's in here, right? There you are, Priscilla. Oh, look at the athletes sit by each other. Yes, Paris is there. She plays water polo. Priscilla plays tennis. Josh is an Olympic athlete. No, he's not an Olympic athlete, is he? I'm looking at the... Wants to be, but he is a professional snowboarder. <laughs> he's gone right now doing stuff. Um, you know, and in sports, guys, in all these things, you know, you need hard work. You need methods. You need formulas. You need ways of improving and growing. So, yes, to that. But in the midst of it, these athletes, they still have to trust the Lord. But as believers, trying harder to be a good Christian is actually the opposite thing that produces good fruit. Someone needs to hear that. You trying harder to actually be a good Christian, whatever that means in your box, it actually is the thing that's causing you to not produce good fruit. Because, guys, the fruit of the, hmm, somebody. Whose fruit is this? Is it your fruit, my fruit, or is it his fruit? Because according to Galatians 5, and we will get there, it's the fruit of God that comes through your life by abiding in God. It would be so weird if I was to walk into my yard, we have multiple orange trees, and I'm hearing, mm, oh, yeah, shut the bar. Some orange trees praying tongues. Um, and I'm like, what the frick is going on? And the orange tree's like Narnia or something. It's like, I am producing oranges, and we strive to produce fruit. I'd be like, whoa. You know, it's like, but are Christians, are we different sometimes? We're like, I want to push this fruit out. Are you giving birth or are you just hanging out with Jesus? I don't know. It's just like, just chill. Just chill. He loves you. He loves you. You know, and I mean, the John 15 life, guys, is all fruitfulness flows from intimacy. It's like a life connected to him will produce the fruit of him. But you can try to get off and produce the good fruit apart from him. And like I said, it may work for a day or two, but get back to me in a few weeks, a few months, a few years. Real fruit comes by abiding in him. Someone once said, the flavor of faith is rest. How do you know when you're in faith and trust? You're in rest. That's Hebrews 3 and 4. That's some extra credit stuff if you want to look at those. But gosh, when you're in faith, you're in rest. You're not stressed. You're resting. You could be the craziness going around you, and you're just like, we chilling. Jesus is king. 
Can someone testify to this? You know when you're in faith because you're filling the rest of God or when you're freaking taking it on your own and you're like, I will white knuckle this and this is going to happen. And you're like, I'm stressed, but I love him. It's like, okay. First Corinthians 3, 7 says, one plants, another waters, God causes growth. Did somebody hear that? One's planting, another watering, but only who is causing growth? God, that goes for your life, that goes for my life, that goes for parents trying to disciple their own kids or you pouring into someone. You can't grow anything. You can't even grow yourself. And there's a freedom in that, that we get to go back into a place of, I trust a good God to grow good things in my life and other people's life. But at the end of the day, all we can do is just go back and lean into him and say, God, I trust you. I trust you for the heavy lifting and the things that you're growing and doing here. Guys, most stress, in my view, anxiety, restlessness, is because we're trying to take life on instead of resting in God and trusting him. Does that make sense? You can live your life like this, like frickin' white knuckle, or you can live your life like this an open-handed life. You could feel like you got to figure it all out and make the decisions, or again, you can go back to. I mean, the Bible says, who's the father of faith in the Bible? Anyone? Extra credit. Abraham. Abraham was called out to a place not knowing where he was going to receive an inheritance. So the life of faith starts off into the unknown. And in many ways, it continues in the unknown. Because our safety and security isn't on where we're going and what we're doing, but it's in a person. But white knuckle living, guys, in relationships and growth, that stuff will stress you out. I gave you a hernia. Straight up. Message Bible, only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what began by God. Snap. Only crazy people. Those wild ones. So many of you are like, so we just grow, Jason, by just trusting God. That's it. We began in the Spirit. What's the Spirit saying to you? When I came to Jesus, the Spirit was like, you should read the Bible, specifically Proverbs. I had the Spirit of Stupid on my life. You laugh. I'm like, it was real. I had 21 years of being discipled by the world. I was like, don't stop reading Proverbs. To this day, I haven't. But when you're living by the Spirit, He'll talk to you. He'll let you know what's up. And the more, guys, I believe this, the more we feast on Christ crucified, what he's done for us 2,000 years ago, what he gave us in righteousness and justified just as if you never sinned and peace with God, all those things awaken the heart. And there's no way to get you that. I wish I could just be like, oh, you know, even into my own life. But that comes by our revelation. And that's why it's okay. Paul in Ephesians 3, I think it was, he's praying for the church. He says, God, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Pray that prayer for yourself. Pray it for others if you don't know what to pray for. Ask that God would give us wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Hmm.
Growth in God. Having began by the Spirit, are you now trying to do it in your own effort? Guys, I want to say this because I know someone needs to hear it. The goal was never perfect behavior. Some of us got that inner critic. Some of us struggle with perfection. The goal was never perfect behavior. The goal has always been the person Jesus. And when we can just stay on him and be about him and not try to throw it back on here, that sets us free. Because, guys, here's the thing. Life is upward, not inward. And I'm not against counseling and some inner healing and other things, but at the end of the day, it better be replacing lies with truth, or you're going to just get looking navel-gazing, and you're like, I don't know why I've been counseling for seven years, and I'm still stuck. It's like, because the solution and the answer has always been the person Jesus. And when he speaks into a situation and ministers to you, that brings breakthrough, that brings freedom. We get healed through relationship. You got sick in family, you get healed in family, but you get healed in the family of God most, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That family heals things up. And it's experiential knowledge. You'll know him, right? Eternal life is to know him in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That same word know, some of you already know this. Sorry for all the knows. It's the relational knowing that Adam knew Eve and Eve knew Adam. There was a relational connection in that knowing. It's experiential knowing. Yeah. Come on. All right. I like trying to just preach by the Spirit. Like, I had a lot of notes here, and I'm like, ah, we can go down that rabbit hole, but it's, not, it's good to not just do things because you think you should. Isn't the gospel, though, so scandalous? <laughs> That guilty people, literally, you're guilty, you can be forgiven. And perfect people, you're still loved and you're still accepted. I mean, that's scandalous. It'd be one thing, it's just like, yeah, if you can like kind of measure up here, we can let you in. He's like, I don't want any of your good works. You can't work your way to heaven. I'm coming to you. I'm giving you a free gift in me. Man, release the scandalous gospel, God. All right, I'll just end here. I'm going to land it here with a question. It says this. This is the question. Just close your eyes, kind of hear it out, and just let the Spirit speak to you here. After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? So God, just help us, God. Where are the areas, God, that we're trying to perfect ourselves apart from you, that we're not leaning into you, we're not trusting the leadership of you in our life, Jesus, but we're trying to take life into our own hands. After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? 